Welcome to the Payments Podium podcast hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Payments Podium. It's Payments Professor Kevin Olson. And today we're going to have some fun. We are going to start talking about fraud and crypto. We've talked about fraud and electronic payments before, but now we're going to go into a new area of electronic payments and talk about crypto. I have Alex Zelter with me today. And and Alex, uh, would would you please just tell everybody who you are real quick for us? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me, uh, Kevin. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to join you on your show. Um, and, you know, f- just a few words about myself. I've, uh, I've been in uh, different uh, um, uh, background type companies uh, uh, in the recent 20 years, a little bit on corporate side, a little bit in the startup side. Um, the last 15 years, uh, I've been uh, establishing and, and, and running different startup companies. Uh, all the way from uh, online farmers markets through gift card marketplaces and through to uh, fraud prevention. Uh, actually, we went into fraud prevention because uh, we realized in uh, in the gift card marketplace how difficult it is to sell digital gift cards online. Not unlike crypto, by the way, which we're going to talk to uh, talk a lot about. Um, and and when we figured out how difficult it is and how limited the tools we have around. Uh, to solve that problem, we decided to create our own technology to solve this. And once we realized how strong it has become, we decided to spin it out and, and create a company around it. That's actually how Ensure came to be. And I'd say probably a year and a half ago, we, reala- we realized that probably the, the 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 most scalable fraud we see today is, is in the crypto space. And uh, we've started uh, looking for, you know, for what could we do to help there? And found out that a lot of what we're doing would be relevant, and uh, you know, and ventured into uh, helping different uh, uh, exchanges and on ramps to fight fraud on, uh, on on their side. Okay, so you were doing online digital cards and fraud. I can only imagine the level of fraud that's there because we hear about all the different gift cards and things where fraud happens. My, my first thing I would want to ask, and I want to know is I, I again on the show we've talked before about faster payments fraud with uh, ACH same day ACH with RTP here in the US and um I even talked a little check and wires it a couple of times but this is first time we've talked crypto so my first question is is fraud with crypto different than what we see in other payment channels or is it the same or how does it compare so, so it's important to say we're we're not discussing fraud on chain, right? We're not discussing the the transfer of different crypto to you know either Bitcoin to Ether or you know other coins because these are always on chain. There is fraud that could happen there, but that is uh, um, I would say that is a different type of uh, 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 of uh, of uh, of game at all. What we're discussing here is really the the same you know type of electronic fraud we all uh, grew to uh, hate or love depending on the side you're on, um, but as it as it comes into crypto, the the issue with crypto and with digital cards, as you just mentioned, is the fact that when you're paying for crypto, if you are a fraudster that is using a a stolen payment instrument, whether that's a bank account and you're using ACH or RTP, whether this is a a credit card and you're using you know a, a visa or or a mastercard whatever you're using once you've made the transaction because it is on the blockchain it's done there are no reversals 
And because that happens, um, the exchanges that actually provide the crypto or provide the crypto to the buyer are left out of pocket in case uh, a stolen payment instrument is used. And the fact that it is done immediately and that there's no reversal, the, the merchant is left with no with no course of action if he is at a loss. It's the same thing that happens really at digital gift cards. And, and to be honest, one of the, I would say even the higher fraud a uh, uh, scale of fraud that we're seeing today is not just for gift cards, for prepaid debit cards. We're seeing fraud for prepaid Visa at, at, uh, uh, and, and, and prepaid MasterCard at a range that you would never imagine. So wait, wait, uh, if, uh, if, if you, you basically, if, if we have somebody that has stolen account credentials and they use those account credentials to purchase Bitcoin, let's say, any type of crypto, Ether, what, whatever it is, then whatever. Then later it's discovered those are stolen credentials. Those were, you know, unauthorized transactions. It's the exchange that takes the loss or is it a merchant downstream that takes the loss? So it's whoever is merchant of record for the transaction. Okay. And it's a great question, actually, Kevin, because a lot of crypto exchanges, what they would do, they would use an on-ramp solution, such as uh, such as a MoonPay or a Circle or a, a Mercurio. There are lots of them out there, they would use one of these solutions exactly for that purpose, to avoid the need to deal with such an, such an issue of reversals on the fiat side of things. And what we're seeing really is either exchanges that are big enough to handle that on their own, you know, the Binances of the world or, or, or you know, blockchain.com, et cetera, or those that provide an on-ramp solution to other exchanges that are normally a bit smaller. And for them, it is their responsibility. So they, when they take the transaction of a fiat payment instrument, whether that's, again, a bank account or a credit card or a PayPal, and once they do that, and if the person that is behind the transaction is a fraudster and they provide the crypto, once they've provided the crypto, the crypto is gone. Eventually, they'll be hit with what the industry calls a chargeback because it was an unauthorized transaction, as you've just mm -hmm. mentioned. And then they're left with, you know, neither the crypto nor the fiat. And that's the type of uh, uh, problem that, uh, you know, that we've set out to uh, to uh, 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 to solve. OK, so and in this case, this is what makes this so fascinating. We've got a lot of anonymity taking place. We've got a tr big problem with who did what where, because if it's a hacked account, and say yeah. it's a hacked bank account, it's really hard to figure out who hacked it or who got in there, where that all originated from. At best, you might get an IP address, right? Now, yeah. if it comes over and they've purchased, say, uh, again, I'm just going to use Bitcoin as a common crypto that's out there. Yeah. Once that's been issued, now it became anonymous as far as who owns it and where it is too, right? Exactly. Okay, so exactly. how in the world do you solve for something when you've got mystery box A with mystery box B and only the known thing that happened in between was the exchange? So I think that, um, let's take a step back from that. Okay. Uh, first of all, it is, a, it is a complicated problem to solve, no question. And, and it's, a good thing we have a, it's a good thing we have a good team that likes complicated problems. Uh, that's the first thing we uh, we ask on an interview. You know, how complicated do you need your problems to be? If, uh, if it's not that complicated, we, we're probably not a good fit. So I, anyway, um, I think that um, when you um, when you look at the uh, most of the tools that are looking at payment fraud in general, 
Most of them have been created in the e-commerce era, right? In the late 90s, beginning of the 2000s, primarily helping merchants that have been first hit with card not present transactions and realized that it is their responsibility. And what has become commonplace at that time, uh, common, even common sense, I would say at that time, was if you conduct identity verification well, if you make sure the person behind the transaction is the actual owner of the payment instrument, you're safe, which makes sense. As a result of that, most of these platforms are primarily based on identity verification. That means they're either using you know, uh, uh, huge databases, looking through, as you mentioned, IP addresses, device information, addresses, physical addresses, et cetera, trying to link all of these and to assess whether a certain identity is legit. In the crypto uh, uh, domain, this is simply, uh, um, this is simply not gonna work. There are a few reasons for that. Number one, you're not gonna use the same identity you're using when you're shopping on Amazon or on, uh, on Home Depot when you're buying Bitcoin. You're not gonna use the same. By the way, when you're playing on Steam, you're gonna use a third one. So people today use different identities when they shop uh, or when they conduct their transactions, especially in this digital world. So number one, if you do have a huge database and you'll use that to identify whether this is a real identity or not, you're going to create lots of false positives. You're going to reject legitimate consumers because you won't find them in your databases. That's number one. You should not try to go through identity verification. Even more than that, I can tell you that um, in crypto, the, you know, the, the strongest tool in your toolbox for identity verification is KYC, is know your client. And more than that, it is even required by regulation in certain cases. And so what we find is we find crypto exchanges and on-ramps that conduct KYC excessively beyond what's required by regulation because they believe that is helpful, that is helping them identify the person behind the, you know, behind the transaction and making certain that that's the right owner of that payment instrument. However, uh, uh, what we found, and uh, and and we we've we've just shared that I think uh, on a on a on a public announcement, more than seventy seven percent of the total fraud we see in the crypto industry, of the total payment fraud we see in the crypto industry, is coming from fully verified, fully KYC verified accounts, and that happens because today you can buy a. KYC verified account on the dark web for as little as $45 for almost any of the exchanges. If you want to buy a fully KYC account, even for Binance, you'd find yourself by paying slightly less than a hundred bucks. And there are- All right, all right Alex, hold on. You are, you're actually, I know the people listening and I know my reaction right now is, are what? Because one of the biggest things we tell everybody is improve your identification process. Make sure that you are going through and doing all of this. And now you just dump this big old knowledge bomb on us that you can go buy a fully verified KYC account that's out there. What? Well, then what do we do? <laughs> Yeah. So, so first of all, realize that it is not foolproof as you think. One of the one of one of the things we see is we see you know if this account is KYC verified, we allow him to transact you know two thousand, three thousand, five thousand dollars per transaction for for you know for a few weeks, 
And eventually you'd see people that lose hundreds of that or, you know, companies that would lose hundreds of thousands of dollars on these incidents. It's insane when you yeah. see that. The thing you need to realize, the first thing is it's not foolproof. And more than that, it's not uh, um, it's not the right tool for the environment we live in. I, I can share with you a few of the things we do. So the first thing we do is we look for uh, uh, we look for behavioral anomalies. We, uh, and and let me take you let me take a step back and explain how this you know plays into into okay uh, so you're uh, you're looking at the behavior okay. that's taken place exactly okay and why is that um what what you would see is that um, crypto exchanges uh, nft marketplaces are targeted by fraudsters that do this as a business it's not a person that is looking for a one off you know they 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 want to make a, a thousand bucks uh, they found a credit card lying around somewhere in the street and they say, okay, let's go buy some Bitcoin on Binance, be anonymous, be completely anonymous and 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 be done with that thousand dollars. It's not these people that you need to be worried about. It's those that do this as a business. What do they do? They would go on the dark web. They would buy a list of stolen financials. They may buy a list of stolen accounts. They may buy a list of stolen credit cards. They may buy a list of stolen PayPal accounts. Once they've done that, they paid for it. And now they need to create a positive return on their investment. Mm -hmm. How do you do that when you have a payment instrument at hand? You buy things and sell them. That's what you need to do to get the cash back. So imagine the difference between buying, you know, a thousand and reselling a thousand iPhones or buying, you know, uh, um, uh, three Bitcoins and and finding a way to sell them on, on oh, the yeah, a digital system. asset so much easier i don't ever right. have to touch so it easier. there's no warehousing right. so much easier so much easier so what you see is you would see these fraudsters come in and use these stolen credentials stolen uh, payment instruments and they would have to do that pretty fast because once you've started using that stolen list it's going to get blocked the issuer is going to identify that. If it's PayPal, PayPal is going to identify that. They will identify that there's a list that got stolen. They'll block it. And you as a fraudster would remain with whatever you've been able to go through. So you have to do it pretty fast. So you create a machine that would attack. You would identify, you would test a few, you know, a few scenarios. You will see something that work. And then all hell breaks loose. You will use your machine to, you know, to go in and, and, and basically try to get all the inventory you can, all the, you know, whatever you can get your hands on. Um, the patterns look very similar to DDoS, to distributed denial of service attacks. It looks like a group of seemingly legitimate individuals. They all come from different IP addresses, different countries, using different credit cards, using different payment instruments, whatever. And they're all, you know, they're not trying to crash the server. They're trying to suck up all of your inventory, right? They're trying to grab as much Bitcoin or as much NFTs as they can. Um, once you realize that, you understand that there is that that the the danger is in these scalable patterns. Now let's go back to behavior. How do you identify such a pattern? I'll give you one very simple example. Let's say we're uh, we're looking at uh, at an exchange and we're seeing that there is a, there is a uh, uh, there's a a consumer coming in and they hesitate for 12.3 seconds before they decide how many Bitcoins they want to purchase. This podcast is brought to you by the VSoft Corporation. VSoft offers core processing, 
digital banking, and payment processing solutions for financial institutions of all sizes. Follow us on Twitter at bsoft underscore corp and online at bsoftcorp.com. Okay, back to the show. So a regular person coming in, there's going to be yeah. time looking it over, thinking, yeah. you know, okay, uh, should I really do this? Which one do I want to yeah. get? That type of stuff. Yeah, right. Let's say, so you you see a, a person coming in, they're waiting for, they're hesitating for 12.3 seconds. Uh, there's not a lot you can do about that. A second later, another one comes in and they hesitate 12.3 seconds as well. That's more interesting. If within the five next five seconds, five more have come in hesitating 12.3 seconds, now that's a pattern. Yeah, I would say this so, because I don't think I can consistently buy something every 12.3 seconds. <laughs> that's dangerous. No, it, and it's five different people. Oh. They're coming from different countries. They're coming from different places. Uh-huh. They have a different, one is coming on an iPhone, another on an Android, a third one on a web browser, the fourth one on a different web browser, whatever. They all look different. But they all hesitate for this 12.3 because the fraudsters are pretty sophisticated. Their machine is not, you know, it's not like a, 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 they, it used to be like an HTML kind of, uh, you know, injector. It, it's uh-huh. not like that anymore. Sophisticated pieces of software that will do whatever they can, but eventually there would be something that you'd be able to use to link the group together. And the example I gave you now for the 12.3 seconds on hesitating before they decide how much to purchase is an example. We're looking at hundreds and of thousands of such. Okay, so I get it now. You're, you're basically saying that the, because of this, again, if there's so much anonymity surrounding it, I love that you mentioned it's similar to what we see with DDoS and how it, it just starts hitting a system. Exactly. And then you look yeah. at all the multiple different areas of characteristics to identify what are the common denominators. Once you start exactly. building up that history of what's coming through, you're then able to say, here's something raises a red flag. It could still be exactly. good activity, but it's raising a red flag to say, let's look further into it. Exactly. And then again, you identify the ring and then you can stop the attack. And that is way more, way more helpful than going through KYC, going through identity verification, going through email verification or phone verification, going through the contextual parameter, you know, so asking for a person, you know, what's your physical address? What's your last name? Going to an address, you know, to a database and, and linking these it's immaterial in crypto. It just doesn't work. Okay, but, but you still have to have the verification. I mean, that that's a thing yeah. that at least the regulators are going to tell you. You have to have a verification well, process. So I'll give I'll give you an example, right? So the regulator in uh, in, in Europe says, or, or and in the US is very similar. You cannot um, go above twenty five hundred euros, or in the US about three thousand dollars transacted within a period of time. Could be a day, could be a few days. It depends on the states. Um, and uh, before, uh, without doing KYC, without going through KYC. That's what the regulator says, right? Crypto exchanges and, and on-ramps are considered MSBs, right? Uh, money service uh, business. They're not a bank. So as such, they're required for the KYC when you go above a certain threshold. What you would see is, is crypto exchanges that do that for every every account that's being opened, regardless of whether they're trying to go with, you know, with a hundred buck purchase. They will still go through the KYC. There's absolutely no reason to do that. What we would recommend is, guys, go through KYC where it's required by regulation because you know we're we're you know we're doing the right thing, right? We're 
all conducting our business in a legal in the legal in a legal ma manner. However, don't do that excessively because it has no value from a payment fraud prevention perspective. It has value in AML. It has value in showing the authorities eventually that you have identified, you know, a, a pattern that looks like money laundering and it has complete, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying KYC is a bad thing. No, it just isn't effective against preventing payment fraud. Don't use it for that. And I, I can tell you that one of the um, leading exchanges we've been working with, we've been able to improve their, uh, uh, their revenue within six months by more than 60%, 60% by simply avoiding KYC below 2,500 euros. Oh, really? So, so you look at because- We're going through KYC on every transaction. On every transaction. And now that you don't, you're saying you don't have to do it on certain ones. And, and I would call that really, it's a risk appetite, risk threshold, certain dollar amounts, you're going to have- much more thorough checks, lower dollar amounts, not as many. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that, and, and being able to manage that risk appetite, uh, that, that balance, right? It's always a balance between the false positives and the false negatives, right? We all understand that. It's how many, how many declines you create that are, you know, that are for legitimate consumers versus how many bad actors you let through. It's all about maintaining that balance and being able to uh, help uh, uh, the crypto world approve more because what we're seeing today, um, again, based on our data, and these are average numbers, so they're not, you know, particular exchanges, we see roughly 25% of the people that come in and go through KYC drop. So you, you lose 12.5% of your population there. We see about 25% get, uh, uh, get blocked by the networks, Visa, MasterCard, um, RTP, not that much, but ACH gets uh, declined a lot when it's a crypto exchange. So we see roughly 25% that get declined there. And then we see 25% more that get declined on, on fraud screening. If you do that throughout, you would see that, generally speaking, uh, you lose about 50 to 55% of your population that have already decided to uh, to provide you with a payment instrument that have made the decision to purchase the crypto, 55% of them, you're going to say no to, which is insane. That insane. is over half the people that basically you're trying to over work with, make money from, exactly. you're saying no to and blocking them. Yeah. And we don't, we don't usually recognize that because we measure each and every one of these steps differently. And we look, we don't look at the entire funnel. And we don't realize that we're actually declining 50% of the people or more of those that have already decided to make the purchase. And, and that's devastating from a lifetime value perspective for the shoppers that come in, because if that happens, you understand that customer acquisition cost is simply double what it could be, right? If you right. could simply accept everybody, that's easy. But what's even worse is when certain velocity rules kick in, you would see a lot of pretty good uh, 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 consumers, pretty good shoppers that are being declined because they've reached a certain threshold and then you completely destroy your lifetime value. And that is where you are, that is where you should never rely on these rules, on identities, etc. That That is where you need to let the machine learning behavioral uh, uh, um, you know, products that are out there, we're not the only one, Right, that's where you can really use that to grab a much bigger uh, 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 share of uh, share of wallet. 
Uh, and that's what we've seen that really is effective in the crypto industry. All right. Well, I got to I gotta throw you a little curveball here because most of the people that are listening to the podcast are going to be U.S.-based banks and credit unions. And, and we, we kind of let them know you're a little bit more international. Hopefully they're realizing or already knew crypto is global. It is not restricted to yeah. any country whatsoever. And I'll bet a lot of them heard that 25% decline of the payment and went good you know, hoping that it does get blocked if it's not passing all the security thresholds. What I would ask, though, is for these U.S.-based banks, especially, that know they've got payments going out to the people you're working with, to these exchanges out there, is there any advice you could give to them to say, you know, maybe this is what you do, maybe this is what you'd look at? Because their account holders will find a way. I even mentioned Steam earlier, which Steam is not crypto, folks. Steam is a video game platform. If you've got a teenager like I do, you understand and have a Steam account set up for purchasing a video games. But crypto is a whole different world. And that's where they want to know, you know, what advice could you give them in working with uh, the different providers that are out there to help them protect themselves and protect their account holders? So I think uh, the, the best advice is realize that identity verification is dead. The digital industry, people use different identities for different. So people would use a different identity on Steam, as, as I've mentioned, on <laughs> Binance and on Home Depot. It's, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be three different avatars, let's call them that, in lack of a better term. So realize that. That's number one. Number two, rules are, are meant to be broken, right? We, we know all of that, right? Are made to be broken. And the fraudsters love rules because once they identify what the rule is, it's very easy for them to get through. And what we are missing, I think, is an understanding of how lucrative the business of uh, of conducting fraud when it's coming when when it comes to crypto right for a fraudster to get their hands on on bitcoin in an anonymized way is you know is 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 paradise it's the best thing they could do and as a result of that they are willing to invest heavily into building these tools into building the the different patterns if you create a rule based system that tries to say, you know, not more than 3,000 on the first day. Uh, if your IEP is in one place and your, um, you know, and, and, and the credit card was issued in a different state or a different country, let's not do that. If you do that, the, the, it's going to take the fraudsters minutes to identify it. Uh, not seconds, but minutes and not hours. Once they identify it, it's done. Because for them to assume an identity that has a different IP, a different, uh, you know, a different issuer that they buy the cards from, and all of that, it's all at their finger, at, at, at their fingertips. It's so easy today to do. We, you know, we have a team of people that uh, both browse the dark web to find if there's something new coming out, and those that are looking to see the tools that are being uh, uh, that are being sold, because you would be able to buy the tools on the dark web as well, the tools that would create yeah, yeah. these machines. Everything's that, out there for sale. Easy. Everything is out there for sale. So we, we keep on looking for that because you have to stay, you know, one step ahead of the, not to say two steps ahead of the fraudsters. Otherwise, you know, you're in deep shit. Sorry for that. Sorry for the friend. So, so you, you my, my advice there is use someone who's, who's professional in fighting that type of fraud 
and not someone who is, you know, who's uh, uh, who's very professional in fighting different kinds of fraud, right? Because there are many companies that fight fraud in e-commerce doing an amazing job at that, right? They do, they do an amazing job. They've gotten e-commerce to a state where you can approve 99, 98% of transactions have a, you know, a 10 basis point chargeback rate. Great. They, they do an amazing job. It's not the same with, with crypto. And, and the banks know that and they fear that. And, and that's why, I, why I'm saying you, you have to use someone who is dedicated for that environment, who understands that environment or not, and who understands how different it is than the standard payment stacks we're, we're seeing in, you know, in, in, in day-to-day e-commerce. All right. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for being on today. That is incredible. I agree with you. A lot of the things that you said, I mean, I'm still stuck on what your company does. If it's not that complicated, we're probably not a good fit. That really stuck with me. There's no doubt about it. But the fact, too, that all of this is out there for sale on the dark web. The identification verification is dead. I got some friends I can't wait to share that comment with. They're going to be like, what? Because, you know, that's what they focus on. But you left us with the great golden nugget there. Work with somebody that can be dedicated to this, that this is their expertise in what they do. Um, If Folks, if you want to get in touch with Alex, insure, that's N-S-U-R-E dot A-I is his website. If you need to get in touch with him uh, directly, you can always email me, Kevin, at paymentsprofessor.com. I will make sure that you get in contact with them. I also got to say to any of you out there that if there's a topic or a speaker you would like to have on the payments podium, you can also email me, Kevin, at paymentsprofessor.com, and I'll make sure to get them on there. Again, Alex, I want to thank you for being part of the payments podium. You've left us with a lot to think about, and this is where I tell everybody, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson. See you on Thursday.